All right, welcome back to the last Prepper Standing Podcast. Today is kind of a really cool episode. I think we have probably the most qualified guest we've ever had on, the preparedness expert, Chris. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going great. That's a, that's quite an intro to live up to, but I'll do my best. Man, I was checking out, and I encourage everyone to check out um, your Instagram, but more importantly, um, that 72-hour link you posted on there. Can you go into detail about that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the big thing that I think that most people don't understand is, is really how emergencies go down. And I didn't even know how, how stuff went down, even with my background leading up to these past few years. And really what it comes down to is that first 72 hours um, brewing um, and when a crisis starts is, is probably your most critical time frame. And if we look statistically and throughout history, at least modern history, when um, big disasters, uh, big events occur, whether it's uh, natural and or, or man-made or man-occurring disasters, um, it's that 72 hours, it's a really critical point. And that's where most people end up becoming injured or, or end up dying is, is within that time frame because they aren't prepared or they haven't been monitoring the situation and taking appropriate actions. And it's one of the things when I teach classes to individuals, groups, organizations, or in my regular job, when I'm, when I'm kind of assessing these things, um, it's really critical to understand that um, if you're looking to get help or at least ride out something until help gets to you, that first 72 hours, you might as well expect help not to get there. Um, so having a plan, having things ready, uh, making sure that everybody within your family, your tribe, your group, whatever whatever your uh, your situation is, understands that plan and their, their roles in it, that's where the rubber meets the road. And the beauty about this, though, is you can literally simulate those situations in a very controlled aspect so that you can practice this stuff so when it does occur everyone can just start moving and, and the wheels can get turning and the military really taught me about how fast things happen because you know when when it's go time it's go time everyone needs to be on on their game and you just can't do that unless you actually go and practice these things and you practice relevant things a lot of people are preparing for stuff that just it's not that it's irrelevant. I think I think preparing for anything is it can be good, but knowing what hazards affect you and your area is the first place you should start. And then your approach, um, and this is something that you know both the military and the government as a whole has really kind of taken into account is, is an all hazards approach, making a fairly simple framework that can be adjusted and adapted to the most uh, the, the most likely of scenarios is the best way you kind of want to focus your attention. And I, I think that's so true, and we're seeing a little bit of that now. Mm -hmm. um, I was just watching the FEMA announcement with uh, Joe Biden kind of stumbling through his words um, <laughs> on, on the disaster in uh, Arkansas and uh, Mississippi and everything. I noticed on your Instagram you were posting, you had looked like you were getting some weather too. But that, oh, yeah. first, that first 72 hours is so crucial. And, you know, you can't plan for everything, and you can't um, – be ready for every event that's going to happen. But if you don't do anything, you're not going to be prepared at all. I, I don't think it's possible for some of those people, when you look at the disaster they had, that their preparedness plans are going to work. 
And that might be just the case. So you got to kind of have some redundancy in your preparedness plans too, I believe, about what if nothing works? Because that devastation was, was, was horrible and it's very sad to see. And I think that people who are in a situation that they had some sort of planning or at least thought about what happens if my plan doesn't work are going to be way better off than the people who are crawling out of their basements quite literally to a world of disaster and have no idea what to do next. Dude, 100%, man. And um, it's funny you say that because I had my wake-up moment in 2020 when uh, myself and my my five-month pregnant wife were in Philadelphia, and I was monitoring the situations with the you know the whole 2020 riots, if, if we're going to be politically correct a little bit here. We all know what it was about, but like the city was literally burning around us, and we were, we were right on the edge of downtown Philadelphia. And so... You know, I already had in my mind some go, no go criteria. What were things that I was waiting for and looking for? Because I told her on Wednesday when I first saw the first uh, outbreaks of riots happening in Minneapolis, um, and then I saw Seattle and, and a few other places start following suit. I, I, I said to her, I said, look, Friday, it's going to happen here. And, you know, the, the of course, the, the response was, why Friday? I'm like, because people need to, they, they, the city, this is kind of a spur of the moment thing, and all these different entities within the city are going to get organized and they're going to get prepared because there's there's other actors at play here. And I and sure enough, it hit on Friday, and I told her specifically, I'm like, listen, if it gets within this close of us, we're going in the car and we're getting out of here. And if they tell us that they're going to lock down the roads and we're going to be stuck within the city. We're getting out of here before that happens. And that's exactly what they did. They shut down the city. They shut down the highways. And the thing that was the wake-up call for me is, like most people who get into preparing, and and even at my at that time, I thought I had stuff prepared, and I didn't. I had a bunch of stuff in my basement is what I had. But in terms of having systems ready to go, being put into my vehicle with my wife and my dog, and having enough room, all of a sudden, I'm I'm in crunch time when they tell us the city's going to be shut down in five hours, all these major roads and highways leading out of it, I was in crunch time to decide what's what's going with us and what's staying. And there was a lot of considerations that, like, I wasn't taking into account with, you know, a 75-pound dog and a pregnant wife that now needed to be um, needed to be assessed. And luckily, you know, I'm always been really big on building community, having contacts, having people that you know around me and near me that I can I can lean on should something like this happen. And I got an opportunity to go and stay with uh, a, another guy who is who did the same thing in the military I did, who has a, a huge background in, in dealing with stuff like this. And he, and he was going to be protecting a family he worked for. And he goes, listen, I need I need another security guy to do this successfully. Um, he said, you're welcome to come here with your family and your dog and ride this out until it's done. You just got you just got to provide help me provide security for this um, this family. And it was it was probably the the savior in terms of like being like you know the stress level being mitigated because i knew i i had another dude that that understood these types of situations in the same capacity that i did man that's crazy to hear um just from my perspective um being where i'm at i feel like you know i try to stay on top of this but i did not know roads were shut down during the blm riots that that's just straight up news to me right oh, now dude. That, and yeah. that's something I'm sure they don't cover. You just know that in your little local area. I bet that's, you know, I haven't heard anyone. I don't know. Maybe you have. I haven't heard anyone talk about how the roads were literally shut down as a precautionary measure. It sounds like for rioting. 
It was, and yeah, it was partially because there was a couple different factors um, going in and out. And when we really started breaking down, because him and I, he he's he's kind of like a his specialty is dealing with stuff overseas and and getting things in and out, people, items, things like that, right? And um, and so when we were we were monitoring basically all the open source uh, technology that was out there, you know, there's things like uh, Snapchat Maps, which is a phenomenal source. There's uh, the Citizen app, which is another one. And these are all like geolocation sources where you can see hotspots that are occurring. When we started, I started building a tracking map essentially where I had a, a map of the city and I was basically just putting push pins inside this digital map showing where these little outbursts were going. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to control where this riot, where these people were going. Because at, at a certain point after day three, it wasn't riding anymore. It was it was very similar to what was happening with, with Rodney King back in the early 90s where they were going and picking targets of opportunity within the city. So they were hitting malls, they were hitting you know shoe stores, electronic stores, ATMs. They're using uh, you know torches and impro improvised explosive devices to try to blow ATMs, and they were using social media such as Snapchat, Facebook, Messenger uh, platforms, WhatsApps, Telegram, Signal, all these things to coordinate essentially attacks on individual areas in mass because they knew there was no way to catch everybody and raiding stores and stuff like that and so we were tracking and, and literally day to day you can watch how they were systematically picking different areas and how they were moving throughout the confines of the spaces that were being kept closed or or guarded by the national guard when they finally brought the national guard in it was it was really fascinating to see um, in real time for me, because it completely changed my perspective on how the government handle will will essentially handle these situations in modern times when technology now has such a driving force in how people coordinate on a mass level. Now, what would you say? Um, kind of one of my hang on, let me go back a second. Um, one of my one of my things I point to a lot of people all the time about like a real world case study of how the government's going to respond in a major crisis situation is Katrina. And maybe yes. I need to go back and kind of research how they responded during the during the riots, um, because that what to me sounds like is a situation where they just kind of almost like what they did in Katrina is they just let it burn itself out and people kind of tire themselves out. And that, that definitely, and that definitely happened in the LA riots. I was pretty young at the time. Um, but I really remember that happening and just thinking like, man, why don't they do more to stop it? But as I got older, I realized, Oh, they're just trying to let the people tucker themselves out and tire themselves out because really they're probably not prepared to riot beyond 72 hours. That's exactly what it is. You just hit the nail on the head and it's not even, and realistically, and, and I work in emergency planning, that's my, my actual job. I, I, I do all the emergency planning or most of the emergency planning for a county nearby here in Philadelphia that has over half a million people in it. It's, it's, the, it's a, a very wealthy county. But like realistically, like if you take the number of criminal element within any given city of the size of Philadelphia or a little bit smaller, I would say a million plus people, they just don't have – the, the manpower and when you look at even with law enforcement and, and the 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 recruitment issues and and you know prior to um everything that went on with with these and, and the whole defund the police movement um even then philadelphia was extremely understaffed they were having a huge a hard time getting recruits they, they just don't have the manpower to stop this whole thing which is why they brought in 
the National Guard and, and people don't realize like the National Guard, they are a presence, but like they can't really do anything. Most of those guys aren't even allowed to carry ammo. And I've been in that <laughs> that situation. <laughs> And you see the pictures of that. I remember that when they were yeah. around, the ca- around the Capitol, they had their rifles with no magazines in it. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm, I consider myself kind of lucky because I've grown up kind of rural and I've grown up very city as well. Um, you know, coming from the San Francisco Bay Area, that was one of the things that became very apparent to me is there's really truly not enough manpower to handle the homeless, let alone handle the homeless crime, everything else that comes along with it. And that's why it's so important for people who are listening to this podcast. If you live in these bigger cities and these bigger areas to really understand you're on your own. Yes, if you're in rural Mississippi or Arkansas and you have a tornado hit, hit you, you're really on your own too. But for some is going to be at that massive of a scale with millions of people it's a whole different level of planning that i think people who um aren't used to that city life don't really understand the danger and the complexity and the need to prepare that people who live in an urban environment really are under 100 man and uh, it's funny you say you're you're from the bay area I, i actually lived there i'm from california myself i'm from uh monterey bay originally but i lived in san diego i lived in la i've lived in uh san francisco i lived in the mission I lived in Sunset. And so like people don't understand that like it, it's the you can't control that that level of people when stuff starts boiling over. You really so can't. The, you really can't. Yeah. And then to, to your point, too, maybe people I want to mention this because I don't think people maybe understand why it's so important if they haven't lived in an environment like that. But when they're do when they're coordinating um riots and looting and the kind of the flash mob stealing, um, you see it happen like at a um uh, CVS is one of the ones I could think of that stands out the most to me because I had a friend mm-hmm. who lived in an apartment above that CVS. So if they flash mob and riot and steal and set the place on fire and your apartment yep. and complex is above that, you're pretty much screwed. Because I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm just staying inside. I'm not I'm not going outside. Well, that's that might be a stupid idea for you if you live below a bunch of retail establishments. And I, I don't think people who live kind of like in the country environment understand that there's millions of people who live that way. Well, exactly. And, and the other part of this that most people don't realize is there was this whole this whole rhetoric from the from the general public where, you know, they were seeing some of these these mom and pop businesses that had been in business, these hoagie shops and, and these you know everything from like people who own their own their own little retail shops and, and and different businesses that have been in business for for five plus years or longer or even one year that were already suffering from the early stages of COVID, um, getting raided and people were just going, well, their insurance will cover. And it's like, well, if you actually understood insurance, um, you'd realize that that there's no riot insurance. They they protect against natural disasters. So you know we see these places getting robbed and and broken into. And and people are just kind of shrugging it off, not realizing that that's their entire livelihood is basically just getting destroyed. And people are just like, well, they'll be fine. You know, they'll get they'll get their their COVID, you know, check or whatever the case may be. And they'll be OK. It's like, no, like they're although that mom and pop hoagie shop that's been a staple in the community that, that used to give kids free sandwiches because they knew that the living situation with their mom and dad, they're also uh, most times low or middle class people who are struggling to survive and they're supporting huge swaths of their community, 100, 200 people by providing them with groceries or food. 
And now they're going to be replaced with a KFC or a Cricket Mobile or, a, you know, name any other one of these, you know, these. A cash checking place or a liquor Correct. store, some, some shit yeah. like that. And Man, so they're feeding into it. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's sad to see that, that people don't understand. That, and these are, these are a lot of my people who don't even understand the destruction they're doing to themselves. I think in some of the urban environments, if people are aware of it, they hear about food deserts. And, oh yeah, uh, lack of access to to real healthy good food, and so much of that is is because of their own because of the own way that they they treat those companies and stuff. And now mm-hmm. these companies who come in to replace these mom and pop stuffs, they're just up and leaving. I, I saw yeah. Seattle; they had a, a McDonald's and I think it was a Target and all these other uh, Starbucks and stuff saying, "You know what? We're out. We we can't function here." And no post-COVID world could really gather up the funds to go back into those communities. So what's going to happen is the whole community is going to fail. Some banksters are going to come in, buy it for pennies on the dollar, and just push people into further, further down the economic scale and make it harder and harder for them to come back out of. And so much of it is just because people aren't self-policing themselves and their communities. Dude, you just hit the nail on the head, man. And it really does come down to to self-policing and having some sense of pride and wanting your community to be better. And then also the other the other side of that is is learning how to become more self-reliant, which is the big change that I did once we moved outside the city is we started a food plot in our backyard and we really started learning as a family how to grow our own food, how to make our own food, how to make things like, you know, like vinegar and, and all these other things that if if all of a sudden the supply chain shut down, like like we've seen pockets of it doing here and there, and it's going to become a more frequent thing. With If we look at the international relations, I mean, every day it, it, we're inching closer to that. We need to learn. We need to go back to that mentality of like Liberty Gardens and, and being a lot more self-reliant. That's why I push that a lot with the stuff that I'm trying to teach um, on the back end with the long, longer term self-sustainment side. And that, and that's so, that's so true too. Like the thing that they probably would hate for the most is for people to be even, you know, 10, 20, 30% more self-reliant that, that just throws off the whole system structure of control. And I think to me, that's one of the most rebellious things you could do is be as self-reliant as possible, but you still run into, as we're, I think we're kind of on the heels of um, the, the fallout of COVID. But I distinctly remember just empty shelves and people people turning on each other and in little Facebook groups, whether it be neighborhood groups or just your regular Facebook algorithm talking about people hoarding and this and that. So everybody should have or be able to remember what it was like to have very empty shelves and then what people's response was that too. And that that should be a good motivating factor to get more self-reliant. It's just amazing to me that we even have to convince people to be prepared in a, in a post-COVID world. Uh, dude, you took the words right out of my mouth, man. I, I say to people all the time, the most dangerous thing to any governing power is the sovereign individual. What can a government take from you if you can do what, if you can provide for yourself? It has no power over you. You, you can't incentivize a man or a woman or a family who needs nothing from you. And, and history is full of examples of this where you know, bad actors or, or bad agencies have gone in and, and one made, 
you know, sovereign individuals or groups look like they were bad guys simply for wanting to exist on their own without that without being reliant on on their control. And this happens all over the world. And, um, you know, it's just it's crazy to me that we're such a short attention span, the way technology has been designed and, and phones and all this stuff. It has such a potential to make us great, but we choose to waste it on very, very uh, you know, silly things like keeping up with gossip or, or watching, you know, things that really don't add to the value of us as human individuals and the capacity that we have. Yeah, and, and <laughs> that's so true. Those in the algorithm, man, the algorithm is, is destroying people. I can't, I, I see that so much in just my own little feed when I like nothing but positive stuff and you still get hit with the tots. You know, mm-hmm. it, just, it just blows my mind. Same. It, it, it's uh, it's just more proof to me that they want you controlled and they don't want you thinking about your kind of individual sovereignty like you like you talked about. That's for people to be able to not only be prepared from a food standpoint, but also like a financial standpoint is oh, one man. of the things I think gets not talked about enough because so many people like were like i was forced to do this i was forced to do that so i could keep my job and a lot of the time i'm like man you were put in that situation because you weren't prepared to, to and you didn't have some fuck you money to tell your job you know what fuck you i'm out i'm independently gonna just take care of myself for a little while well and and it's funny you say that too man because there's and i've been putting up some uh some some posts lately to kind of shake people up because I think even in, in this community, whether we want to talk about preparedness or or in the tactical um, realm, is that there's so much push for like, you know, buying, continuing to to focus on this materialism aspect of, well, you need to buy this brand new rifle. You need to buy this. It's like, no, you don't. What you need to do is is actually look at what's a need and necessity. Like if you're buying a brand new rifle because it's the latest and greatest and, and said cool guy is, is, is marketing towards you, one, you should question why he is marketing it and see if there's some some feedback or, or he's getting, you know, some incentivizing on, on his end to do so. And secondly, that you can't feed your family, you know, that six AR. It just doesn't work like that. Like six months of food is far more valuable than buying something you already have one of. And that's where people are kind of missing, uh, you know, the trees from the forest um, or the forest from the trees. I, I always forget how, how, which way it's supposed to go with that one. Either way, they're missing it. <laughs> they're missing it. Yeah, correct. And, and exactly. When I do consults with people, um, I kind of believe that first initial consult with the impression that they were disappointed with my answers. And it's because people are kind of geared so much to that consumerism. And I think mm-hmm. prepping is a lot, a lot of that can seep in because it really feeds into people's normal consumerism that they've been brought up in, in this culture. Because my first thing I go over with people is I start with kitchen fires. And mm. you'll be surprised at how many people simply don't have a fire extinguisher in their kitchen. So we 100%. start out with like really basic stuff like that because you're probably going to weigh more. You're probably more likely to experience a kitchen fire than you are to experience an alien invasion that some people are prepping for. You know what I mean? It's just it's oh, one hundred percent, man. Like the amount of, I'm, a, I'm a CPR instructor. I teach stop the bleed. You know, and and I tell people all the time like. I can't, I can't, I don't even remember how many times I've had to render first aid from whether I was a boy scout and someone puts an ax to their ankle or, or stopping to help someone who got in a car crash. And, and it costs 
50 to $75 to get basic first aid and CPR training, but people will pay guys $600 to figure out what foot they need to step through a doorway when they're clearing rooms. I'm like, why? Like, it's it's so <laughs> with silly. Ze- with zero chance of ever clearing a room. Exactly. I'm like, if you're in your house and three dudes are, are breaking down your door, you are not go- you're going to put your family in the safest point in your room and you're going to wait to ambush them because it's your house. You're not going to go like, you know, go in and, and Jack Ryan, you know, your own home <laughs> to, to find these guys. Like it's just, it's such it's it's basically fantasy play and we fall victim to it because it's it's everywhere within our media. It's everywhere within with within everything we see. Just like you said, the algorithm is is reinforcing that constantly. Right, and I and granted, it's a whole lot funner to to LARP basically oh, and, sure. pretend, and pretend you're going to be Jack Ryan. I totally get it, and it's funny that you say that because I was just talking to someone. I've been harping on them because I'm a big advocate of having minimum two to three months of of your primary bills. To me, that's your your mortgage or your rent, whatever you need to pay for transportation, whatever you need to pay for food, and whatever you need to pay for communication, your cell phone bills, something like that, and then your basic necessities, power and water. Right. I think everyone should kind of figure out those basics of life, get two to three months of those before they ever really start prepping. And I was trying to explain to him this. I'm like, I don't know how you spent that much money on this tactical pistol class (laughs) when you were just telling me about you hope you can get some extra hours. So because you want to make you want to make sure that you have your car payment paid. It just doesn't make sense to me. I I couldn't agree with you more, man. And it's it's. It's one of those things where where it's very easy when you see the amount of stuff that's getting pushed out about violent encounters and about you know guys kind of pumping up like this idea that we're gonna be in 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 civil conflict very soon here and Ukraine war and all these things happening. It's very easy for for especially you know very masculine driven males to go yeah I need to be ready for this but. As someone who got who during COVID switched jobs and and then found myself in a in a in an area where I'm like I can't do this anymore, having that emergency fund to fall back on is is what saved us essentially in a lot of ways. And the first thing I did once I got my job that I have now was build that emergency fund right back up to what you said. Like we we stock we have six months worth of emergency funds that can cover all of our payments and all of our food. Um, in addition to the regular preps that you talk about and that other guys talk about of having, you know, three months to six months to even a year's worth of food stored up, because if everything stops again, I'm not rushing out. I'm not going to go fight crowds. I'm going to sit at home. I'm going to have a, a good meal with my, my wife and my daughter and my my mother-in-law. And we're just going to, you know, we're just going to ride it out as long as we can until we see what's going on and we can take that information and make the best course of action given what's going on. I absolutely agree with that. And I think, um, you know, we haven't as a country even seen um, the real stoppage that could potentially happen to the supply chain. If we do go into a war with China, the the people, who the people who suffered and were unprepared for which I really think was more of an inconvenience to the supply line than like Mm -hmm. a real stoppage of it are going to be in for a rude awakening when we're completely cut off from basically you there yep i'm here that was ig this time i don't know what happened there i should just open it up in the system browser but i don't know where my rent where my rent like I, i know where my rent was going i just don't know where it was cut off so the last thing i said was uh when we're we're cut off 
from China completely, and then I went. I didn't hear you respond. Okay. Yeah. So. So yeah. Exactly. So, and, and, give me a. Just wait till the like. Uh, a minute. The top of the the top of the minute, so then I could edit Perfect. it per perfectly. I said China, and then I thought, oh shit, that's what got it cut off. Uh, what words I say when it drops? <laughs> no, I understand. So I I'm not surprised. I could avoid them in the future, but give it about 10 seconds. We'll be at the yep. top of the minute and then go ahead and start talking. Perfect. Yeah, man. Here we go. We'll wait till that one minute hits. Yeah. So, and, and that's the huge thing is that like, there is a ton of things happening that we're just not hearing about on any of the mainstream news sources. There's a few people here and there that are, are giving us some insight to it, but like, like you said with China, but, but with the banking crisis, with all the layoffs occurring with these major retailers, whether it's Amazon, Walmart, where, whether it, the big one for me with the bank crisis and the bricks, right? The, the fact that you have two major le leaders, you have Putin and Xi Jinping who are going into six day closed door conferences talking about building relations and you have Saudi Arabia talking about shifting away from the OPEC dollar. These are monumental tectonic shifts that are going to have effects that we are just most of the general public has no idea what that means. Yeah, the, av of the average bear has no idea what that means. None. At all. It's, it's kind of scary. I saw I saw just on the news feed today part of my, you know, part of my daily routine is I kind of info gather, figure out some stuff from there. And, you know, Same. India is going to India is going to offer the ruble as one of the, the transactionary currencies. And, and, and gonna... yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And and the uh, and just the fact that the OPEC dollar, I mean, we have we have been signing blank checks for so long. The fact that the, that we're switching away from the OPEC dollar um, is one of those things that if people understood how big that was, they would be immediately start stocking up on food and stuff like that. Um, it's it just it, it blows my mind. The average person that I talk to when I start talking about these things, just the blank stare that kind of go comes over their face when they have no clue what I'm referring to. And to that point, you know, I'm no financial advisor. This is just what I'm doing for like legal disclaimer purposes. Understood. But, uh, you know, I'm transferring a lot of what I, I invest into into uh, companies that do well during war, because mm -hmm. the last thing we're gonna have, and what I've been telling people all the all the time is, you know, it may really, we really probably are the petrodollar in many ways, but at the end of the day, we're really the nuclear dollar. Because that, that's kind of our trump card. And once that petrodollar goes away, that's the only thing we're going to have to back our money at all. And it's going to get real weird real quick. As the saying goes, when all else fails, go to war, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, man. It's, uh, we, have, we have some tectonic movement going on. And, um, you know, when I look at, when I take a macro perspective and I zoom out to really look at everything, it, it, you know, if it was just one of these individualized events, it would still be putting up red flags for me. But in terms of, of everything that's gone on in the past year, it's impossible for me to not see the writing on the wall. And I just wish more people understood that and started taking the steps to be, like you said, financially literate. And then also understand, you know, what's my capability should something, should X, Y, and Z happen? What do I need to learn? What do I need to start focusing on in order to be able to ride this out? Because it's not going to be a, a, a one to three day event. This is going to be 
you know, similar to the Great Depression or or other things that we've seen in, in other countries' histories. And that, you know, that's part of what my preparedness is starting to gear towards. You know, I just turned 40, so I'm not like super old, but I'm also at the point where, you know, as we look at these tea leaves and the things that are about to happen, being 60, 70, 80 years old is not looking like it's going to be too fun for me. It's not going to be looking like I'm going to be in a country where I'm going to be able to be well taken care of. So as I get older here, I'm starting to try to shift some of my preparedness about how, how, what can I do to be in a situation where I'm going to be able to take care of my self when I'm older you know I'm digging into heavy metals a little bit more than I used to or or precious metals I say heavy metals I'm thinking music but (laughs) some precious metals (laughs) because that's gonna that's gonna follow whatever currency is the hot currency at the time and that and that's proven itself throughout history whether I got to trade them in for rubles or I got to trade them in for some Saudi dollars or whatever I got to do I'll be able to trade it in for something so you know, I'm, just... I'm big on that as well. I think I think looking at history, I, history is the greatest teacher, right? Like people, I'm a I'm a big history buff. I love reading about history because that gives me insight when I, because everything to me is cycles and everything to me is pattern recognition. And that was kind of like with my job in the military. That's how that's where we thrived on when I was in the military. Um, you know, we thrived on on recognizing um, patterns within people and and social cues. And if we looked at history, we can really see what people where failures occurred but more importantly what people did to survive and you know it's it's funny because i personally when i look at the situation because you know for guys like you and me because i'm about the same age, age as you i'm about to turn 38 here in a couple of days um you know i'm like well you know realistically is i love this country but if we get to a retirement age it might make sense to go to another country because my the dollar or whatever you know the gold the silver whatever we're we're, we're stocking up is going to just be able to stretch better. And, you know, I see why a lot of these, these expats do what they do, because if, especially if they're used to a certain level of life, um, they can get that for, for, you know, uh, one, one fifth the price. If they go to places like Panama or Belize or Costa Rica or Puerto Rico, they just have to understand the operational environment when they get down there and they have to be respectful of local customs and, and how things are done and understand that, you know, you might have to carry bribe money on you. You might not be able to wear jewelry if you're walking around uh, PR or, or Panama somewhere and, and recognizing that that's a big part of it as well. I got friends who are in um, Puerto Rico and who are in, they left Belize to come here during COVID. So that was that kind of got my wheels turning. We sat down and we and we talked a lot about what happened. But you know they inducted some curfews that were way beyond anything we saw here, regardless oh, wow. of what, what liberal city you were in. Um, so that that was kind of interesting to me. And I've I've heard stuff you know, kind of to the contrary, because I used to think that way too, that we might want to leave and go somewhere like, like Panama was kind of one of them. Um, mm-hmm. Joel Scalson talked a lot about going there, even though he gave kind of some strategic relocation stuff um, advice. I think I kind of, when we left California, we came to East Texas. I'm have lately been leaning more towards even going more rural than this. I think kind of the, the rule, um, uh, going to be the way to go just to get super self-sufficient super by yourself and and just hopefully just ride everything out as as the cities burn that's exactly what our plan is um we're we're looking within the next 18 to 24 months to basically pick up like a uh you know a farmette or a homestead of some source with 10 plus acres and really um and really just you know to me it's it's you know yes you can always make more money 
Um, and especially if you're, if you've got a good, a good set of skills, you can, you can definitely focus on that. But to me, it's like, I want to try to eliminate my cost and get my costs down as much as possible and, and be able to produce everything I can, um, on my own as much as I can so that I can live within the, the means that I want to live within and still be comfortable. And I enjoy it. Like I, I like hard labor. I'm one of those weirdos that doesn't mind going out and chopping his own wood and, and growing his own plants. Um, it to me it connects me back with the earth, which is I'm huge on. I'm a I'm an avid outdoors person, so I love doing that stuff, and, and it just makes sense for for my family and where we want to, how we want to raise raise our our kid in 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 the next series of whatever stage America finds itself in. Right, and I think you know I kind of what it comes back to in our conversation we've been having is is what you said right there about produce more you can always make more money but you also need to reduce so many people you don't even have to really change your urban lifestyle but you could be way more self-sufficient by just not being such a consumer oh, and, man, and, and you could give yourself so much breathing room to continue to live your urban life uninterrupted because you're not on the hook for so much money you haven't dived deep into the consumerism but you still want the easy amenities of the city life there, there's a weird balance that people need to figure out that can really just help them not only be prepared but just live better quality lives 100 percent. and and it's so funny to me man because like i go out and i do my rucking every night like i throw in a back uh, a backpack um, and I just go and walk the neighborhoods around. I usually do about, you know, anywhere from, from two to, to five miles just to get out there and get, get another, you know, another level of, of physical fitness and beyond the typical weight room type training. And on trash day, it never ceases to amaze me what some of the, the places in my neighborhood, how much trash they produce in one week. And I have four adults and a child in my household and we only put out one trash can and typically it's not even filled all the way up because we're so smart about composting and, and how much we actually consume. And we've, we've, it took, it took us a while to get there, but we're finally there. And I go out and there's one house, same size as ours with less adults than us. And they have six, seven trash cans out there with, with additional bags of trash sitting on the curb every single week. And I'm just like, how, how's that possible? You know? And those, and those are the type of people, and if you're that type of person, you know, this is, and you're hearing this conversation, this is a good point for you to do some self-reflecting, because that's going to be the type of person who's going to be hit the hardest by any supply chain interruption. That type of person who's going to the grocery store every night, eating out every night, um, you know, living on that, you know, that almost hand to hand to mouth type of life, but you're not going out in the field or hunting. You're just going to the, the fields of Walmart and bringing something home and they have no preparedness at all. Well, one of the big things that I always recommend to people that, that we really took to heart uh, here when we finally moved out of the city is, is just cooking at home. Like we, my wife and I do, do a, a date night, you know, once every, probably every between two weeks and a month to just go out and try stuff. And usually we're disappointed, but what we, what we really did is we built recipes and stuff that both involve our preps. So we're rotating through our preps and, and some of our canned goods. And then I, you know, back in August, I went and I sourced a, a cow and I bought 465 pounds of, of meat and I tucked that away and this, it, and I basically figured out how much, how much red meat we were consuming per week. Cause we eat it pretty much five days a week. And I figured one full cow will last us one full year. And it's been almost to the pound that we've been able to maintain that with very little waste with four adults in the house. 
And it saved us so much money, especially when the prices start going up. You know, it's it's ironic because when I first got it, I was telling people that, you know, it, it, it cost me essentially like four dollars or uh, yeah, six dollars and thirty nine cents per pound. But that was including everything from ground beef all the way up to filet mignons. Right. Like premium beef here raised locally. And now when pe- people who are making fun of me saying that, oh, I can get ground beef for four dollars a pound. They're now going they're now hitting me up, you know, now six months, seven months later going, hey, uh, how did you find that cow again? And I was like, oh, all of a sudden we want to we want to <laughs> source some local meat, huh? And, and of course, I give them the information. I just make sure to tell them that, you know, I'm going to get mine first because I already put in for it. Right. And that see, I, you're going to get yours first because you already put in for it. I like that. I've I've got to the point where I, I've kind of slowed down on self-doxing myself with the people around me after mm-hmm. COVID because I got, I got the response, like the response I heard from people was like, man, next time this comes around, I really don't want it to be the thing that I'm the guy to go to. Yeah. Like I, 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 I want to be helpful, but you guys already saw what me being prepared was about. So I'm going to start talking less about that to you because if you guys don't get it the second time going around and it's going to be a worse situation, I feel like that's the danger seen for themselves uh post covid knowing that something bigger could really be around the corner and and that that's so true man because i i still to this day i get people who who hit me up and they're like like oh i'm coming to your house and you know i'm like well if you can find it like good luck with that like i mean not not for nothing i'm if 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 they're true a true homie and and they're a true person i will i will meet them somewhere and i will help them out with whatever i have available because i do make sure to have things on hand to help out neighbors and to help out friends um but people have to understand that it's it's not about being selfish it's about you need to learn to take care of yourself we've had enough of these events occur now that you are the one, if you're going to blame me really at the end of the day, you're just blaming yourself because you didn't see the writing on the wall. Right. To me, I've grown a little colder towards people's ignorance to preparedness. And this is, you know, as I, yeah. as I try to be an influencer and help people out and help them get prepared, I'm also at the same time, I've closed some people off because I'm like, whoa, you really should have got this by now. If you don't get it by now, you're, you're the danger. And to me, the biggest danger has always been other people. And that's oh, yes. been the biggest clearest thing whether it's other people who are in positions of government or whether it's in other people in positions of rioters other people are the problem it's funny because there's that that you know i'm paraphrasing here but there's that quote that um that you know individuals are great i i I enjoy talking with individuals they're smart they they have good things to say and they're usually willing to help each other out it's groups of people that end up being the danger to to others and the problem is, and you know, it's it's so funny because like people even today, people are still waiting for this zombie apocalypse. Like, oh, we're just waiting for this one virus to mutate. And I'm like, you realize that the zombie is just a sim- symbolic reference for people when they're hungry and they can no longer think for themselves and they're in a survival mode. Like the the likelihood of actual zombies aren't going to happen. It's going to be people. It's going to be people that end up behaving that way because they haven't eaten in three days. I mean, we're nine meals away from anarchy is how the saying goes. And that, and that hasn't changed from, from the original kind of 
genesis of people getting prepared and the survivalism that kind of got popularized in the 80s to this very day so many of the stuff just like that we're only so many meals away from complete anarchy does not change and will not change so people that's a good starting point for a lot of people um I just, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I, I feel like we could talk forever. So much of my goal with the, the podcast, the new format I'm doing is to kind of keep it brief, but I would love to have you back as a future guest so we could delve into some more topics. Um, is there anything you want to talk to the people about that we maybe haven't mentioned? Um, honestly, you know, my message is pretty clear because I, I love teaching this stuff, but, but the number one thing you can do for yourself is just Take a look at, at, be realistic about what you can and can't do and really assess what, what that is and then start getting the training and start preparing appropriately. There's so many resources out there, but we are so quick to just turn on the TV or turn on Netflix and kind of zone out. And unfortunately, with what's going on today, we just really need to, to spend that extra 30 minutes or that hour before we turn off our brain to start doing little things. And those, those really end up giving us dividends overall. And that's really how I started was a little bit of preparedness goes a long way. And if we just put in that time every single day, that 30 minutes to an hour on fitness, on preps, on systems, on building, eventually after you know one month three months six months we're going to take a look back at our work and realize just how much how much we've gotten ready and and i think everyone just needs it to understand that you are your own first responder there's no one coming to save you as someone who's worked in all levels of the government pretty much no one's coming to save you you have to be prepared to save yourself absolutely well thank you so much um everybody i found um chris the preparedness expert on Instagram. Is that the only place you're at or where can other people um, find you? It's, it's the emergency expert on Instagram. No, no problem. Uh, I almost won the preparedness expert that got, t- that was taken. Um, the emergency expert on Instagram. And then um, my website will be up and running here very soon. And it's just get prepared LLC.com. And I'll be having like just sharing information and, and helping people out in the best way I know how, which is teaching, teaching them, you know, just to be a little bit better prepared. And, and that's my, that's my passion project is, is trying to get, because the more people that are prepared um, is the less people I have to worry about when stuff happens, because they'll, they'll be able to take care of themselves. Amen. That's my, that's my whole goal too, is just try to get as many people as possible because then there's oh. less people we have to worry about. I and think you do spirits, a, bro. I think you do a great job. It's one thing I try to do too, is modeling the behavior. Um, I've really enjoyed your reels where you're out there actually rucking, doing all that stuff, sharing the footage of yourself at the gym in front of the preps, all that stuff. I think modeling the behavior is so key and so lost in the preparedness community um, because they just want to do reviews and stuff like that. So I, I, I personally enjoy your information and I want to thank you for that because it inspires me to keep putting stuff out there that kind of matches what you're doing. We're, we're modeling behavior for people to be prepared. So just this, just from my own perspective, thank you for your content. I enjoy it. Guys, if you haven't followed his page, make sure to do it. Download that, download the 72 hour preparedness PDF. And where can they find you one more time? Uh, the emergency expert on Instagram and at getpreparedlc.com. And I, I want to thank you for the opportunity. It's been a great conversation. I'm looking forward to the next one. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Likewise. Have a good one, bro. You too. Bye.